Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. We're beginning with the series called The Gospel. And I decided to, to, to talk about the Gospel because so many of us um, have joined church much later after the teaching of the Gospel. So... I felt it was imperative. The last time we did a teaching on the gospel was on the 19th of January this year. And I felt it's imperative that we, we continue the teaching of the gospel so that we understand what the gospel is. What do we mean when we say the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to do something before I go into the word. Just bow your heads down and pray and say, Father, teach me your word. Speak to me this uh, morning as your word comes to me, I receive it. I understand it for the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. I receive your word today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Show me things that I have not seen before in the word. Show me things that I have not understood before. Open my mind. For the Bible says that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what is the exceeding riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints and what is the greatness of his power that is at work in you. Come on, just make that a prayer for the next 10 seconds and just say, Lord, open my heart to your truth this morning as it comes to me. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 So when we say the gospel, of course, today's basically going to be an introduction because I cannot do all the um, extensive teaching and digesting of the word today because I want to give ample time to our guest. But I'm just going to run through some introductory concepts of what the gospel is. When we say the gospel, what does it mean? The gospel means a nearly too good to be true news. That's the gospel. It means something that you hear that is nearly too good to be true. That is the meaning of the gospel. The word gospel, eugelion, from the original translation means a nearly too good to be true news. And the truth of the matter is you can read the Bible for a long time and not see the gospel. You can be a believer for a long time and not see the gospel. You can be a Christian and be a walker and be a pastor and not even preach the gospel. So, when we say the gospel... The gospel is not an ambiguous term that we always used back then when we were um, in church. Uh, when people say, I preach the gospel, but they don't really know the meaning of the word gospel. So that's what we're going to do in this series and the next couple of weeks. We'll be talking about the gospel. And you can explain the gospel. This is the next one that I think applies to most, part, most, most of us who have been members of TSP for a long time, you can explain the gospel but not have a revelation of the gospel. You can teach the gospel because Pastor Phil taught you the gospel. You can memorize what Pastor Chibuza said in the refinery, but your life is not reflecting the idea of the gospel. Your conversations are not a reflection of the gospel. So when do we say that someone has an understanding of the gospel? It is when it affects your life. 
That's when you have a revelation, not just when you can uh, retalk the talk of the gospel. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. I want to show you here how that it is possible to open the scriptures or to open the Bible and the scriptures or what the scripture is pointing to is not open to you. All right? He says, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us so jesus opened the scripture to them uh, i said this to say that you can open your bible have i lost you I, are you still here okay i'm saying that you can open your bible and not open the scriptures you can, you can open your Bible, you can read your Bible and not open the scriptures. The scriptures can be veiled to you if you don't see the point of the scriptures. Okay? Because the Bible is not for principles. The Bible is not for ideas. The Bible is not a compilation of stories and events in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The Bible is about the revelation of a person. And if you have not come to see the person, then you have not opened the scripture. Because when Jesus here said that the scriptures were opened, he was talking about his experience with two men who were walking on their way to Emmaus. And when he appeared physically to those two men, uh, the scripture says that they did not recognize Jesus Meaning that the recognition of Jesus is not in the physical appearance of Jesus. Talk to me somebody. That you recognize Jesus, it's not meaning that Jesus physically appears to you. So I hear a lot of people say that pastor, if Jesus physically appeared to me, I would ask all the questions I want to ask. I would try to know what I want to know and all of that. Here is my point to you. That if Jesus appears to you right now, you may not even recognize that he's Jesus. Because Jesus will choose and prefer that the revelation of him comes from the word of God. That's why he didn't tell. Okay, I think we should go back. Let us start from verse 25. So you understand what I'm saying. Verse, same Luke chapter 24 verse 25. Same Luke chapter 24 verse 25. Luke chapter 20, yeah. It says, then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into, into what? Into his glory. And then look at verse 27. It says, let's read verse 27 together, everybody. Are you ready? Let's read it together. One to go. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus revealed himself not saying it is me. But he revealed himself by saying to those two men from Moses. When the Bible says from Moses, it means from the law. So he started to read from the law and the prophets the things concerning himself. So the revelation of Jesus is found in the scriptures. 
you can be veiled if you read the Bible when you don't see Christ is the point of the scripture. Another scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 15 to 16. And let's use the amplified version if you have it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 15 to 16. It says, Yes, down to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies upon their hearts, minds. The next verse. But whenever a person turns in repentance to the Lord, that word repentance is change of mind. So when you change your mind, repentance there means change of mind. That when you turn in repentance to the Lord, the veil is stripped off and taken away. Alright, so there is a veil if you're not seeing the Lord. If you're reading the Bible and you are not looking for Christ, but you are looking for stories, you are looking for formulas. Albert Einstein, I'm sure many of you know Albert. Uh, um, he's a great scientist. He discovered the formula E is equal to MC squared from Genesis chapter 1 verse 16. So you can find principles, you can find formulas, scientific formulas by looking at the Bible. But the Bible is not just there and built for formulas, but the Bible is to reveal Jesus. And if you haven't found Jesus in the Bible, that if you're reading the Old Testament, you're read, reading Genesis and you can't see Christ, you're not seeing the scriptures correctly. The scriptures are still close to you, even though you opened your Bible. If you're reading Exodus, you're reading Leviticus, you're reading Numbers, all the way down to Malachi. If you're not seeing Christ or the essence of the scripture, which are the shadows of the things to come, then you are not seeing the Bible correctly. There is a veil. What is the purpose of a veil? The purpose of a veil is that it stops you from seeing something the way it really is. So if you put a veil in front of me right now, I can't see what is in front of me because there is a veil in front of me. But if you take the veil off my face, I'm able to see exactly what I am looking at. So the veil stops people from seeing the essence of the scripture, which is Christ. Move down to the next verse, please, if you will. Next verse, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty emancipation from bondage which is freedom and he's saying that you are now free to see what the scripture is really talking about so now let's see verse 18 because they were veiled but look at us and all of us the king james version says but we all <laughs> praise god it says but we all with unveiled or open face my face is open why is my face open? Because I can see Jesus in the scripture. When I see David killing Goliath, I'm not just seeing a story, but I am seeing Jesus in the scripture. When I see the ark that was built by Noah, I'm not just seeing a story of God delivering a people from the flood. I am seeing Jesus who is the ark that anyone who comes to him finds salvation. So when I see Jesus in the scripture, my face is open. So can you stretch your hands and say my face is open? Look at your neighbor and say, my face is open. All right, he says, and all of us as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of God. Somebody say, I'm looking at the glory of God. I'm okay, so you continue to behold the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured 
into his very own image in every or in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Now you behold the glory of God. Look at uh, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. It says, yeah, yeah, verse 6. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts so as to beam forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge because we said we were looking at the glory of God, yeah? That's what we were beholding. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God. Now let's see what the glory of God means. It says, knowledge, uh, um, um, uh, where are we? To beam forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God as it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So the glory of God is Jesus Christ. So what you behold should be Jesus Christ. Talk to me somebody. Okay, so let us quickly move to the gospel perspective. The gospel is, you can write this down, the gospel is the perspective of God after the cross. That is very important. You should write that down. The gospel is the perspective of God after the cross, not before the cross. For those of you who have been well-schooled by our teachings, you, you would know from our teachings that there are basically about seven dispensations in biblical terms. Seven dispensations. Uh, beginning from Adam up until um, uh, some dispensations have not yet come to be, which is the rapture and the millennial reign. All that is part of the seven. But if you want to broadly divide the dispensations into two, you would divide it in biblical terms as the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Old Testament is wheel, the old wheel. Testament means wheel. So let it not confuse us, you know. Old Testament, Testament. And we keep asking, what is testament? What is the meaning of testament? Testament means wheel. Can we say that together? Testament means wheel. So what is a wheel? A wheel is something somebody writes after, uh, before he dies to gain effect after he's dead. That's a wheel. That's a testament. So when you, you see the Old Testament, the Old Testament has to be um, the, the um, enacting of an agreement by the death of something. And that something... Uh, is the blood of bulls and goats. So the Old Testament was ratified by the blood of bulls and goats. Those things had to be killed so that you can reenact the Old Testament. But the New Testament is not found on the blood of bulls and goats, but it is found on the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So there is a new wheel and there is an old wheel. The new wheel means that there is a new perspective of God. And the old wheel means that there was an old but factual perspective of God. Meaning that it is not as if it is not in the Bible. That's why when you are reading the scripture, you must understand what is old and what is now new. What is obsolete and what is current. You must understand that. So, the gospel is the perspective of God after the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 and verse 17. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. It says, this is, use the King James Version, except I tell you to use the Amplified, please. It says, this is the covenant that I will. Covenant there means testament or will. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Question I have for all of you. Where did Jesus write the old law? The Ten Commandments, the stone. So the Ten Commandments, which is the Old Testament, was written on a stone. But here now, he's using a futuristic term because the writer of Hebrews is extrapolating from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33. We don't have to go there, but it's the same thing. He says, this is the covenant. There is a new covenant that I'm going to establish. A new will that I'm going to establish. That I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Next verse. Verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. This is the perspective of God in the New Testament. Now God is saying that I will put my laws not on stones but in your hearts. Lift your hands if you really understand that. He says I will put my laws not on stones anymore. But now in your heart, what is the meaning of that? It means that you are not a stranger anymore like the Old Testament that I have to give you a set of rules and regulations because you are not like me. If a stranger comes to your house and doesn't understand the workings of how your house runs, and you want the stranger to abide by the rules and regulations of your house, what do you do? You write what? Rules and regulations so that the stranger is following after uh, the rudiments of your house. But now that you have become a son, you don't need a rule because you are like your father. Talk to me, somebody. So that's why he says that I will put my laws in your heart that you would not be observing the thou shall not as though you are a stranger to your father. You will not be observing a do not commit adultery because the law can tell you thou shall not commit adultery but it can't make you love your wife. It can't make you love your husband even though it tells you thou shall not. The law can tell you thou shall not commit mother or kill but the law can make you not hate. The Lord can't take away hate. That's why when they were bragging with the Lord, they came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, uh, the Lord says, thou shall not kill. And Jesus said, if you look at someone and hate the person, you have done the same thing. So who then can be free from the law? And this is what the teaching of the gospel will make you understand. (laughs) Praise God. The perspective of God in the New Testament says that It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, if you haven't put it up, thank you, not knowing that what, let's read the last phrase, not knowing, let's read it together, one to go, not knowing that the goodness of God what? See, It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance, not the wrath of God. 
Not the anger of God. That's not the perspective of the gospel. The gospel tells you now that it is because God is good you change. The gospel means that he has already taken a position with you to be kind to you and your response to him is to do what pleases him because he's already pleased with you. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Now hear this. Repentance does not lead to the goodness of God. Yeah, it's not because I did what was right. That's why God was good to me. No. I didn't have to do what was right. I didn't have to do what was okay. But God loved me still because the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for me. Even when I didn't make sense. He took a position with me and he died for me because it's the goodness of God that leads me to repentance. What happened to Peter? Peter looked at Jesus and he toiled all night and said, Master, I have toiled and I caught nothing. And then what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, launch into the deep. And Peter launched into the deep and he, he had a great catch. And when he got a great catch, it was a net breaking, sinking, boat sinking miracles. Can I prophesy this morning? I feel that God is in, how many months do we have left? About two and a half months or so. God is about to give somebody, I don't know who you are, a net breaking boat sinking miracle that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man what he has in store for you, but you know in your spirit. And you are about to shock your world because the things you wrote down two months ago and you thought was too late for God to bring to pass, God is saying delay is not denial I don't know who it is that I'm talking to but here is my word for you that delay is not denial say amen if you believe it and then when Peter got the great catch what happened to Peter? Peter said to Jesus depart from me for I am what? a sinful man Jesus didn't tell Peter I'm upset with you Jesus didn't tell Peter all the wrongs that he did But Peter was convicted of sin when he saw the goodness of Jesus. It is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not your repentance that makes God good to you. So if you don't understand it, the devil is going to play tricks on your mind to say, Hey, you've not been good, so therefore God can be good to you. But that devil is a liar. Because you know God is good to you whether you are faithful or not faithful. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. When we were taught the fear of God before, the fear of God is not something that should be as to say that you were terrified of God. That's how the Old Testament was. Because one of the the ways that you worship in the Old Testament is with the the, 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 um, element of fear. Fear is important as your part of worship. You can't come to God without fear. In the Old Testament, before the cross. So that if you're coming to the temple, you need fear along with you. Because that fear guides your step. So that the things that you see, you need to do, you do them sharply. You apply common sense because a dead man is a dead man. I beg, I beg, I'm ugly, I know you, there is nothing after you are dead. God, not you, amen. Even the high priest will come into, I said this last Sunday, that the high priest will come into the temple with the element of fear. But after the cross, he says, come boldly. Because the moment Jesus died, the perspective of the gospel says, now walk to me boldly. 
You, you don't have your acts put together, but still come boldly. So rather than making you run away from me because of what you did, run to me. Because I'm actually running to you. As the perspective of God. So I said on Wednesday that if you don't read your Bible or you feel low in your spirit or you feel you've been far from God, you should not feel guilty, but you should feel hungry. It's not the same thing. Hungry because of relationship, but if you feel guilty, it's because you don't understand covenant. That he already has a disposition to you that I love you. I'm good to you. I will be kind to you regardless. If I give you money, you waste it. I will teach you by giving you more. That's how God deals. He loves you all the while. And he will do everything to prove to you that he loves you. So if someone is asking a question, how does God reveal his love to somebody? God will minister his love to anybody how he wants to do it. And that's not the job of a man. So what is the disposition of fear? Why do we fear in the new covenant? Psalms chapter 130 verse 4. Psalms chapter 130 verse 4. <laughs> it says, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Now think about the scripture. <laughs> I know some of you haven't seen this before. But the reason why we fear him is because he forgave us. I'm, I'm fearing him because he's good to me. I'm not, I'm not fearing him because I'm terrified of him. But I fear him because according to what David said, he wrote about the blessedness of a man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. So the, the, the fearing that I have of him, when we say the fear of the Lord, because when we preach and we scare people, it says you must walk with him. Be thou perfect and follow me. If not, bam, you are gone. You have to walk with God sanctimoniously. You have to count your steps. Mm, if you're taking the communion, like that, that comedian that had the Holy Communion in his mouth and then somebody sat on his seat and then he couldn't really express his anger because communion <laughs> was inside his mouth. So he told the person, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the person didn't stand up with him. Mm. He left, came back again. Mm. And then he removed it and he, you did Chris. <laughs> so because the fear of the Lord is, is a function of your perception of him by the Old Testament teaching that fear has to be a part of how you relate with God. But in the New Testament, we say fear the Lord. We say fear the Lord because he loves us. We say fear the Lord because he has forgiven us. We say fear the Lord because he is good to us. So it's a, it's a reverence. It's a reverential fear. It's not a terrifying kind of fear. Praise God. How many of you know that God loves you? Now all I came here this morning is to stir up the awareness in your spirit that he loves you all the time. Regardless of what you may be going through, regardless of where you are, he still loves me. Hallelujah. Sometimes you have to preach that to yourself because nobody's saying it to you. You have to remind yourself that God loves me still. That he has forgiven me. My sins are forgiven. We'll talk more on the gospel. But look at your neighbor and say, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Come on, tell somebody else, say, he loves me all the time. Now, if you believe that he loves you, shout it one more time and say, he loves me all the time. There was a man called Smith Wigglesworth. He was about to cast a demon out. 
And when the demon was, uh, I think maybe one of his, is it Smith? T.L. Osborne, I think, uh, uh, his office. And when they couldn't cast the demons out, what happened? Uh, uh, one, one man came who understands the gospel said to him, uh, please, can I speak to this demon-possessed girl? And he said to the girl, uh, do, do you know what you're going to do? Demon, don't leave, stay there. He told the demon-possessed girl, and he spoke to the demon in the girl, stay in there. And he says, I'm going to talk to you about the love of God. Because this love of God is not weak. <laughs> the love of God might come on you differently, but on the devil it is brutal. Because the effect of the cross is peace to me, but it is terror to the devil. That's the effect of the cross. Yeah, so he started to say to the demon-possessed girl, do you know that because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, uh, you are a vagabond because you don't have a father. But I'm adopted, I'm a son. Do you know because of what Jesus did, you can never have redemption. Uh, your fate is sealed to eternal hell. But I am sealed to the day of redemption. There is what we call resident evil. Resident evil is where you keep the torment there and you don't let the torment go. And you begin to torment the demon with your understanding of the love of God. Sometimes when your pain is there, talk to your pain and tell your pain, regardless of what I'm going through, he loves me. Regardless of where I am, he loves me. Regardless of what I've been through, he loves me. Regardless of what people say about me, he loves me. Regardless of what you think about me, he loves me. Regardless of the backbiters, regardless of the naysayers, regardless of the slanderers, he loves me all the time. Look at your neighbor and say, he loves you all the time jump on your feet and if you know he loves you give the Lord a shout in this place hey somebody celebrate God because you know he loves this you message. thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj twitter.com slash standpointabj instagram.com slash standpointabj and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj